with Aidan McCaffrey. I got a wonderful feeling about this. I was feeling a bit bad after last week's show because I, I made a cheap joke. As you know, this podcast has a lot of movie mashups in it. I mash up fun things, so a clip does not go in the direction one expects. And in the course of that, I did this little cheap shot. For one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! So you're the Jew hunter. Yeah, I feel a bit bad about that, but not maybe for the reason you're expecting. The reason I feel bad about that is this. I have a modicum of sympathy for Mel Gibson. There's a lot of pricks in the world now. A lot of grade A a a-holes. Grade a-holes, if you will. Like Donald Trump, Milo Yiannopoulos, this sort of alt-right troll, I guess you could call him, but a professional troll. They basically make a living just spewing as much sort of contrarian hate into the world as they can to make a name for themselves. Now, Donald, uh, Mel Gibson does have some right-wing views, they are known. The reason I have a bit of sympathy for him is that he's an alcoholic and we only know about some of his most hateful opinions because they come out when he falls off the wagon and has these very public meltdowns, you know. I think it was when he was walking down the street yelling anti-Semitic abuse at some police officers, hammered off his face, you know, off his tits. And that's why I have a bit of sympathy for him, because if you look at the history of Mel Gibson, for the most part, he has kind of lived a private life. And he clearly has demons. I know there's another side to this, you know, he has put, arguably put anti-Semitic stuff into his work, notably The Passion of the Christ. But I just have a bit of sympathy because he's a man with demons. Apparently his dad was a right-wing asshole. So yeah, I, I felt bad about that cheap shot. So, there you go. And the Oscar for Best Director of the Year goes to... For Braveheart... The Jew Hunter. That's the last one. Oh, that's the, it's out of my system. I really struggle to be earnest and then not pay it off with a punchline, which undermines everything I just said. But I did mean everything I just said. But I'm also a dick, you just can't resist the punchlines. But box office is back, and the figures are small, obviously. I mean, I've gone to cinema, but I'm a, a major film fan, film freak, so... I'd like to get my free common films, even if it might kill me. So I was at the cinema watching Tenet this week. Films are back, and the numbers are soft. Tenet had an opening weekend of... I saw a figure of 24 million global. Uh, or projected global, which is quite small for a film of this size. Um, But it's also sort of... It's not bad if you do think this is going to be a long play. I think box office analysts think this isn't going to be like, wham, there's your $200 million opening weekend leading to an $800 million gross, or whatever a Chris Nolan film usually takes. They think it's going to be a slow burn as people feel out, is it safe to go to the cinema? Are things back to normal? Am I gonna die from watching the new X-Men film? I said this before I saw Tenet, and I still think this is my opinion having seen it. I'm not sure if Tenet is the right film 
to test people's interest in, in going to cinema. Yes, it's a big Christopher Nolan film, but it's not a four-quadrant film like um, like James Bond or Harry Potter, or maybe not Harry Potter, like James Bond or Titanic or something where just everyone will go and see it. Like old people, young people, hermaphrodites, dogs, ghosts, anthropomorphic, juice jugs, all quadrants. Everyone goes and sees a James Bond film. My reason post-seeing it that I think maybe it's not the right film is it is quite complicated to follow and it's not Nolan's best film. It's very impressive. It's got some great bits in it. I definitely would recommend you see it. But I'm aware, I think the general cinema audience might find it a bit baffling. It, I mean, Inception, it's very like Inception. Inception on first viewing, it does appear convoluted and complicated, but it felt like there was enough action interspersed throughout for it to be entertaining throughout whereas Tenet is a bit more like here's an hour of complicated exposition shoved down your throat and then the, then you can have some action so it'll be interesting to see whether the masses capital T capital M will uh, take to this one uh, especially in these difficult times give me the gun David David if you kill him he will become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. Oh, God! Oh, God! Uh, there were some other films out. New Mutants came out in America this weekend and it had a $3 million day opening day, $3 million opening day, heading to about $7 million opening weekend. Very soft numbers. Marshmallow soft numbers. But it sort of suggests people are heading back to the cinema. It's actually worth noting, the last weekend of August in America is like, if an Avengers film opening in May is Scrooge McDuck diving into his pool of coins, then the last weekend of August is your kid optimistically shaking his piggy bank and then a coin coming out and it's not even a coin you can spend in this country. It's like a euro that you got when you were in France and M&S change won't change it because it's too small a number they'll only take anything five years above that's that's what we're looking at every any given year with the last weekend of august box office wise so basically what i'm saying is these figures when you put all of that into context covid19 graveyard shift of box office weekend sort of not bad unhinged the russell crowe thriller came out the week before and that took about four million again four million in these here times in plague times and at the end of August for a thriller that looks fairly generic eh, it, it ain't bad I don't think and we you know when the Black Plague hit if they sold 10 copies of uh, the Canterbury Tales that weekend or whatever the 14th century equivalent was I reckon they'd have been pretty chuffed especially as the printing press hadn't been invented by that point they would have been like god damn it this is a miracle other box office news we're celebrating piddly little $4 million openings for bland Russell Crowe thrillers. The Chinese blockbuster The 800, according to Box Office Guru, has broken the 2020 box office record for the highest gross from a single market. They grossed $207 million in China after only one week of playing previews. Uh, the old record for this was uh, Bad Boys for Life. That's the highest grossing film in one territory up until The 800. Bad Boys for Life took $204 million in North America, but that was after nine weeks of play. So... You basically, there is a blockbuster has opened in China and everyone's just see it and it's taken big ass money. It has taken some serious yen. 
that's that shit is yend up to the eyeballs. I mean, you could look at China as the future. <laughs> I don't just mean that in a sort of the decline of Western civilization terms. Although I, I also do mean it in those terms. Because China got it first, old COVID-19. They were in it before it was cool. They got the first EP before everyone rushed out for the album. And they're on top of it more than we are. Their cinema seems back to normal. So if you take China as the future, then in three months' time, cinema will be fine. We'll all be watching No Time to Die. And I'll be living under an oppressive autocracy. Guys, I'll take a bit of oppressive A. If it means I can shovel some popcorn into my face while Daniel Craig looks emotionally tortured while checking his cufflinks. Uh, just a drink. Milkshake and not stirred. California Governor Gavin Newsom has announced when cinemas can reopen. Basically, they're doing this sort of weird tiered system whereby counties will be assigned a colour based on case rate and positivity rate, and the colour will determine how your business can operate in your county. So basically, if LA is at 13% daily case, this is as being reported by Variety and Slash Film, if Los Angeles is at a 13% daily new cases per 100,000 people, they would need to get it to less than 8% of daily new cases per 100,000 people to reopen theatres. And uh, San Francisco and San Diego uh, currently meet the requirements to be in the red tier, so movie theatres in those counties would be allowed to reopen at just 25% capacity. Uh, this all seems very complicated, doesn't it? Theatres in orange tier counties can open with a capacity at either 50% or 200 people. So if you live in Orange County, <laughs> you can have 50%. That's a bit of a California geography joke for you there. <laughs> Don't laugh! And the yellow tier can be limited to 20%. Don't know what to make of that. I mean, it's a plan. We all need plans. It's better to have a plan than not have a plan. Just ask Stalin. He had five-year plans. And uh, it was horrible. Loads of people died. I don't know why I mentioned that. Blumhouse Productions. Uh, uh, this is the horror house. So they do produce things that aren't horror. They're uh, they're rebooting the thing, the John Carpenter horror classic, with John Carpenter involved. I like that. It's just just to ease off the WTFs that are going to come back to the news of the reboot. They're like, it's all right, Carpenter's involved, people. It's all fine. Like, we're, we're rebooting Romeo and Juliet, but don't worry. We've reanimated Shakespeare's corpse. He's down with it. He's, he's on board. He's helping us. He's going to be the gaffer. Maybe they'll reboot it with a social commentary. Hmm. That's kind of what they do now. It's like, I think since Get Out and uh, Us kind of great horror social commentaries, which isn't a new thing, you know. Apparently the Living Dead films, they were commentaries and stuff. Consumerism and whatnot. Maybe they found a way to make it, like like The Invisible Man was like about gaslighting and stuff like that. Get Out, you know, it's about sort of liberal attitudes to race. So maybe the, th I mean, the thing's like set on an Antarctic research station and an alien shows up, so I don't know what would be a commentary on cancel culture i'm just riffing now maybe it'll be like someone tries to cancel i don't know meg ryan she did a bad tweet once in which she claimed that black people can't drive or something and then alien shows up and eats the person and the message is dead cancel culture is bad people I, I really think blumhouse blumhouse if you like that idea get in touch uh, it's at aiden mccomedy on all the social medias, and by all the social medias I mean 
Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. That idea is yours if you want it for the right price. And the right price is cheap because I need the money. You ain't got no problem, Jules. Go back in there and chill them niggas out and wait for the Ghostbusters who should be coming directly. You send in the Ghostbusters? You feel better, motherfucker? Shit, Negro. That's all you had to say. Reeves has said uh, that the Batman deals with corruption, mystery, and Batman learning to become Batman. Aren't all Batman films about Batman? I've seen so many films about Batman learning to become Batman. Can we not like see a film where Batman learns to become the Tick or Robin? It's just it's just two hours of of you know Batpat trying to squeeze into a slightly smaller superhero outfit just for the lols. Or maybe it's like Batman learning to become Batman, but he's learning to become the sort of 1960s Adam West Batman. This is like last week's news where it's like, the Batman will be about how Batman's like tortured and stuff. Next it'll be like, the Batman will be about how Batman has a driving license and can drive a car. We know he can drive a car, he drives one in every film we've seen. The Batman will be about eyeshadow, of course. It always is. He's always got eyeshadow on. If anything, they should make one about why you never see Bruce Wayne with like a bit on him. Do you know what I mean? A bit like how you can see that Trump uses a tanning pad because he's got this paler on the eyes. Or like, have you ever worked with someone who is a transvestite, but only on weekends? And the next day you can still see they've got bits of makeup lined on them. I always find that quite fun because it's like a nice little insight into their life. I mean, maybe now people are more open about it, but I remember that happened to me like 15 years ago and I liked it because it was like, oh, he had some fun last night. That's fun. I like that. You never see that with Bruce Wayne. You never see him just like coming in with his massive panda eyes. And they're like, what have you been doing? Are you Batman? And he's like, shit, forgot to wash my face. Christian Bale, his Batman wouldn't have forgotten to wash his face because we know what his morning routine is because we saw it in American Psycho. In the shower, I use a water-activated gel cleanser, then a honey almond body scrub, and on the face, an exfoliating gel scrub. What are you? I'm Batman. Steven Soderbergh re-editing three of his films, including Kafka. Uh, he, he regained the rights to some films he made. Schizopolis, Full Frontal, and Kafka, and now he's re-editing them, which is quite interesting. If it was Lucas, though, he'd be up in arms. Maybe we will be up in arms. Maybe he's going to go into Kafka, his black and white indie drama, and add some Jawas. Woke up this morning to find Chadwick Boseman had passed, 42 years old, very sad, 43 years old. It turns out he'd been fighting cancer since 2016, colon cancer, and he'd been making films in between. Uh, that's a real loss. Anyone dying young is a loss. And you really feel feel it more when oh, you get a glimpse of this great talent. He did he had an accomplished career. You know, he played James Brown, Jackie Robinson, the first big blockbuster black superhero. Not the first black superhero, but certainly the first to commercially rival the old honkies doing it. Fair play to him. Uh, he had a, so he, he, it's, you wouldn't say he didn't have a notable filmography. But he was very versatile and very charismatic, and that is a potent mix in Hollywood. God knows what he would have gone on to do. Reminds me of whether Heath Ledger died. He'd only just started to get that glimpse of what he was. That one-two punch of 
Brokebrick Mountain in the dark night. And it's like, God, is this guy the new Brando or something? And then, sadly, he was taken away. Similar feelings about Bozeman. He was a bit older, but still very young. It's difficult being earnest on this podcast. I don't like being earnest. I, I don't like being any... I don't like form. I'm trying to I'm trying to kick form in the a-hole on this podcast. That's why I don't really introduce myself. I mean, this is the first episode where I've actually said the title of the show at the beginning. Because I'm trying to dispense with form. I'm an art school graduate. Fuck you, form. I got a third in theatre studies. So I'm going to bend the rules. I bent the rules at uni, largely by not doing my coursework, which is why I got a third. And now I'm trying to break the form of podcasting. And not introducing the podcast properly and interspersing everything with flippant shit. Flippant movie mashups. When uh, What's-Her-Face died, uh, Olivia de Havilland. I thought it'd be funny to do a stupid mashup and then come right in with it. So Olivia Havilland's died after you've just done some silly mashup of, like, Gone with the Wind and Star Wars. But it's kind of okay to be a little bit flippant, a little bit naughty, maybe when someone dies at the grand old age of 104 like Havilland did. But he can't really do it when they're 42. He's young. It's tragic. Anyway, last week's question. We'll just get back into silliness. I'll just flag it up like this. Silliness is coming now in three, two, one. Last week's big question was, would you rather gain weight for a role, a la Bobby De Niro in Raging Bull, or shed the old pounds like Christian Bale in The Machinist, or Michael Fassbender in Hunger. And we got some responses. At Steve of the Dead Zero says, he'd put on weight because then you get an Oscar. That's a good point because not only did Christian Bale and Fassbender not get Oscars for their respective films, The Machinist and Hunger, weren't even bloody nominated. Whereas Bobby De Niro, piling on the pounds, won his second Oscar for Raging Bull. Which I think is a classic sign of America rewarding weight gain, but not weight loss. We also had a response from At Them Guided Missiles, who says, Put on weight, OBS. I remember when Ray Fiennes was interviewed about putting on a paunch for Schindler's List. He said he mainly did it by drinking lots of Guinness, which sounds great. I do that anyway. Open bracket, although Guinness, despite its dense texture, is in fact lower in calories than most lagers. Close bracket. Guys, that's what I want. I want your opinion and on the question and a fact thrown in. That was both mildly amusing and educational. And... I'm hoping that's what this podcast is. When I started, it was like I was hoping it would be fucking hilarious and informing. But looking at the pod stats on Anchor, which makes this podcast, mildly amusing would be a win at this point, people. This week's big question is... Which dramatic reconstruction of an emergency incident from the 90s Michael Burke show 999 would you like to see adapted as a film? Responses to at Aiden McComedy, available on Twitter... Instagram and Facebook. Check all those things. I need the dopamine hit, guys. At me. I like the ping. Sends a little joy to my brain. And even more joy to the tip of my penis. So, which dramatic reconstruction of an emergency services incident from the 90s TV show 999, as presented by Michael Burke, would you like to see adapted into a film? I remember one that was terrifying, where some people went, like, caving. Now, this is where you think you go down a stream into a cave but I think they maybe went snorkeling when they were in there and someone went below the surface but when they came up they were in like a sort of little alcove within 
like separate cave within the system and they weren't sure how to get down and get back out again and they had very little air and this was before this was before even the Nokia 5210 existed and they weren't a, a yuppie so they didn't have one of those like uh, phones the size of a golf caddy cart with them so they were seemingly fucked and it fucking it freaked me out as a child so I think they should make that they should make that into like a sort of B-movie like god imagine if this happened to you film like uh like that shark one starring Blake Lively. It should just be Blake Lively in the cave in the alcove. And it'll be a bit like um, that Ryan Reynolds film where he's buried. <laughs> I think it's called Buried. That's her husband, incidentally. They, they like their little sort of B-movie thriller things like that. And I'll just be in the cave thinking, fuck, what am I going to do for, for like 90 minutes? So yeah, let me know which 999 incident you'd like to see adapted as a Hollywood film. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my milkshake. I love the smell of milkshake in the morning. I'm going to make a milkshake. In my groundbreaking rejection of form in the first three episodes, I didn't do any credits. Credits equals structure, and I ain't interested in that. But actually, other people have helped me make this podcast, so I kind of should credit them, really, because otherwise I'm just being a dick. A creative genius dick, but a dick nonetheless. So thank you to Anchor, who, who released this podcast. For the music, Monoplace, and this on Garrett, which is our outro music. The music behind the title sequence is Temples by Six Umbrellas, and Philippe Saro, who's the pianist who's playing back air on the G-string piano. Someone thought that was me. <laughs> Someone said, oh, that you playing the piano? Obviously not. I have a guitar and I can only play it one-handed. I can't play back air on the G. And I got that music off the free music archive on the internet, which is a very useful website if you have ideas but no financial resources like myself. And that's the end of the episode. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. And the Oscar goes to Mel Gibson for Braveheart. And there is proof that I can behave. <laughs>